Welcome to the Memory Distillery, everyone. I'm Anthony Ranieri. And I'm John Deck. And each week we will malt, mash, ferment, and distill our way through the spirits of our past in the form of long-loved movies. And this week... Have an unconventional Christmas. It's the best time of the year. It may or may not be a Christmas flick. But grab yourself a beer. That's right. We are having an unconventional Christmas episode. We watched a movie that was maybe not what would come to the front of your mind when you think of Christmas movies. Now, if you listened to last week's show, we did our top five-ish favorite Christmas movies. And uh, we were a little inspired by one of John's choices. Uh, So this week we watched Anna and the Apocalypse from 2017, directed by John McPhail. This is a unique one uh, for a number of reasons. John, you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe what drove you to to pick this movie this week? Well, I mean, we all love High School Musical, right? Am I right? Uh, Of course, yeah. Can I get an amen? Hey, man. Um... (laughs) <laughs> I, I've never seen High School Musical, but I'm sure I know what it is. Um, that uh, it was being... actually that that movie was filmed here in Salt Lake City. Oh, cool. Uh, so near, uh, wait, near, are you uh, trying to Universal. sell it? Are you trying to sell it to me? No, I'm okay. just imparting a fun fact. So we we've got High School Musical, which it's well known that most of the world loves. Also, there is a movie called Shaun of the Dead. That not only Anthony and I, but most of the rest of the world also declares to be a real triumph because Agreed. it's amazing. What would happen if you combined High School Musical with Shaun of the Dead? <laughs> well, I tell you, it looked a little something like Anna and the Apocalypse. <laughs> because, and I'm saying both the fact that, I mean, I think it may be set in Scotland, I'm not sure, somewhere in the UK, but like, you have you have that the dry British sensibility and the 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 humor woven in. You have the cheesy high school musical feel with you know these kids going through life and learning about love and and like what oh life sucks and I hate everything and and sometimes it feels like a B movie and sometimes it feels almost poignant you know like it it, it fluctuates mm-hmm. a lot it, it bounces all over the place it's not the steadiest of films but man it's unique uh, and by unique i mean a unique mashup of things that are very popular and out there so it it was just you know seeing the trailer i feel like you know what they did in the trailer was almost better than the beginning of the movie like, I feel like they could have just jumped into the craziness, but that's fine. You take some time to build up and all. That's cool and all. So that that's what we watched this week. And it was just such a interesting premise and something that somehow was not even on Anthony or I's radar. And I've recommended it to no less than three people today alone um, <laughs> just because it's different. You know, it, it's definitely something and a lot, a lot of not a lot of people are 
you know, talking about popularly around me anyway. So I thought, why not, why not share the love with people? Uh, what's funny is I remember seeing the trailer for this after we had our, our recording for, uh, for last week's episode. I, I remember like watching the trailer uh, years ago, like before it came out and thinking, oh, that seems like a neat premise. And then it just sort of went away. And I never heard from it again and completely forgot about it until, you know, you brought it up. And so, like, I I, I jumped into this with both feet thinking, oh, this is going to be uh, a really neat, you know, concept of a zombie movie that takes place at Christmas time that is also a musical. And I wasn't disappointed in that. Uh, it 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 does what it says on the tin. Like, it, it, it it's all those things. Yeah, uh, it's it checks a lot of boxes for me, and it's something that's kind of fun to champion because it really isn't like nothing about it is perfect. <laughs> no, but if you if you just let yourself slide into this movie expecting something of a B movie caliber, um, and if you do, if you're if you're like one of the Bill Randalls of the world that likes. Like, this might be the most perfect movie ever for him. That's why I'm not going to rec- recommend it to him directly, because then he'll never watch it. But maybe <laughs> if he just if he discovers it on his own, like, because he loves musicals and he loves, like, campy horror and all those things, it's like, ah, perfect. But, like, I, I was surprised at how much fun I had with it, even though there were definitely awkward moments and points where I'm just like, Ooh, this is just a little like, ah, and there's times when it's like, <laughs> it wants you to take it seriously and does that fairly well. And, and I will say uh, again, we're not spoiling this movie we watched, but you know, it's got ups and downs. It's got, you know, emotional moments and, and shocking twists and turns. So, you know, it's got, it's got, it sets you up to think it's going to be kind of like a, a relatively lighthearted, uh, romp through the playground of a Scotland high school. Um, I keep saying Scotland. I don't know why, but like, I mean, uh, it, it, there are a number of people, number of people who sound Scottish in this yeah. movie. So, um, but it was funny because I, I, so I watched it, enjoyed it. Like I said, overall, but uh, were there any characters, any actors or actresses in this movie that you felt like you knew? So there was one that I knew for sure. Yeah. Uh, it was the dad. Oh, okay. Uh, which I knew him from uh, and the the Doctor Who reboot. Uh, he was in a, a, a Ninth Doctor episode uh, back in two thousand five. I bet most of the people in this movie have been in Doctor Who at some point. I mean, um, if, if you're an English actor, it's almost a prerequisite for your resume to have been on Doctor Who. So. Well, because I instantly was like, "Where do I know that principal or soon to be principal guy from?" Like, he was the one who instantly, I'm like, I know him. Where do I know him from? And aside from the fact that he had a few episodes of Doctor Who, he's better known as being uh, Thoros uh, of Tyr on Game of Thrones. And I'm probably- I did see that because I, I was curious who it was because I, I had a couple of ideas for who it could have been in my head, and it was none of them. It was that guy instead. And, and if you don't know names, and I'm mispronouncing the name, which I'm about 98% sure I am, he's the guy, you know, with the light up sword. But not the other guy with the, the that uses the light up sword. He's the guy that like dies a million times and was brought back a lot, and then they let him die. And anyway, we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones, although that is strangely relatable. Fun fact: I didn't get any of those references. Oh, that's right. You haven't seen it. I have well, not. Here, here's a fun fact <laughs> for you. Um, I'm trying again. I'm 
I'm not going to say that I'm like flat out drunk because that's not actually true. But my brain is mysteriously foggy for reasons I can't understand. So um, the, we, we can just move right along. Yeah, the 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 guy, the guy I'm talking about, the principal guy, I can't remember his name or the actor's name. He was an extra in Shaun of the Dead. Oh, was he really? Yeah, I mean, I looked at IMDb, I cheated. But uh, he, there Paul he was. K. Yeah, that's the guy. Let's see. Man, he was in. He's yeah, been he's in lots, been lots of, of lots of British TV series for sure, which isn't hard to do. Those only go like one or two seasons sometimes, and then just disappear. We're the only ones. The Americans are the only ones who seem to have like, f- you know, fifty season shows and and just jump the shark four or five times. They they like to cut theirs off early and go out on top. Uh, anyhow. I know you said earlier uh, you weren't going to spoil anything, but I don't think we need to step around spoilers. If anybody does want to watch this uh, before we go any further and spoil anything, it is streaming on Pluto TV. Um, I, that's where I watched it. It's it's with ads, but you don't have to sign up for anything. You just like install the Pluto app and watch it there. Uh, it's in a couple of other spots as well. So go watch it and come back, and uh, we're not even going to do the regular intermission thing. We're just going to jump right into it. Uh, so th- th- you talked about campiness, uh, which there's, there's plenty of, there was one thing, uh, that, that really struck me because you don't normally see this even in some of the bigger horror movies or the, the, the darker horror movies, uh, when Anna is, is, you know, walking with her headphones on and singing and all that, and all the mayhem is happening behind her. Uh, there's a woman with a stroller who gets bitten and the stroller for- falls over and then they smash cut to her again four seconds later eating her own baby. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. That's I mean, they don't actually dark. Sh- show that particular graphic. No, but, they, but it's, they, it's very much implied. Right, right. hundred percent. Yeah. So <laughs> this, is, this is going great. No, so so yeah, like um, there have been some some different humorous zombie kind of movies that I didn't really connect with, but I think I think I mean there's some that work really well, and we've talked about them on the show before. So we've as we're watching a few different zombie movies, but the thing here is you have this, you know, a, a zombie Christmas musical, and it, it like we said, it's fun, you know, it's entertaining. It's a bit campy at times, uh, but what I, what I really want to get into is is why this particular website that offers recommendations for parents why they think it's such a bad movie. It, it's okay. A, it's a it's a site that I'm not going to even give credit to because why give credit to close minded idiots? But I think I've been to the site. Or, or yeah. at least seen the warnings from the site. So I'm pretty sure I know the one that you're talking about. Yeah, so. or, or, you know, any clone like that. But I think what's really funny is that in a movie that has a, a decent amount of blood and decapitations and uh, stabbings and killings and, and such things going on, that one of the, the biggest problem with this movie is its sex-slash-nudity content. Um, now, now I ask you, Did we you, watch Anthony, the same movie? <laughs> and I was going to say, in Anna and the Apocalypse that you watched, 
Do you recall any sex and or nudity in it? I saw sex or nor nudity uh, in it. There was neither neither of those things happened. Well, let I'm, me not, t- I'm not. I'm not. I just don't have words right. Like I'm literally. I'm. I'm not lying here. Let me enlighten you then, <laughs> as to why this is an evil movie. Yes, please. I, Number I'm one, dying to know what this is going to no, say. <laughs> I'm not making up any of these. I'm literally reading them right here. Number one. <laughs> a toy hula dancer is shown on the dashboard of a car with a woman wearing a bra type type bra type top and a grass skirt. What? <laughs> that this is one of their <laughs> bullet points explaining the sex slash nudity content in this movie and how it's inappropriate. That is one of their points. This is a real thing. Someone out there read this, and this informed their opinion, and maybe many someone's, who knows. The second one is there is a reference to, in quotes, a body you'd lick chocolate off. (laughs) Which, uh, again, if you've never seen or heard something more offensive than that, kudos to you. I don't know. The third, and this, this this was a big deal, you know. A young woman finds a vibrator in a storage basket in a teacher's office and drops it. (laughs) And then, of course, there was the scene where a young man and a young woman kiss passionately while dancing and are told to withdraw their tongues. What scene? Oh. The the hallway scene where they kiss for a second. That was the hallway scene. They weren't even dancing. Uh, Yeah. So, So, at any rate, these points all pointed back to why, if you're out there, either A, you should skip this movie if those things offend you, but why are you listening to us if those you, things you offend you? You should fucking skip life if <laughs> if those things offend you. But it just, it really amused me quite a bit that, like, it was warranted to have, like, a breakdown of all these offensive things that happened, especially in the context of a movie where you could just say flat out, this probably isn't going to be appropriate for kids because of all the decapitations and blood and stuff. Like, even if I don't agree with that, it doesn't matter. That seems to me like you have a little bit more of a platform to stand on. But hey, I'm just sharing the news. I don't make it. I, I would even go so far as to put a warning like industrial strength maiming or something like that to really just hit home. Yeah. That that's the part that maybe you don't want your kids to see. Not the fucking... Uh, hula dancer toy on the dashboard of the car. <laughs> That's my favorite. Jesus. Someone, someone actually spent some time in their life writing that out to complain. <laughs> ah, it's good, good times. Oh my god. So let's talk about characters real quick. Okay, let's do that. So I'd say we have well, I mean, there's probably what, about four or five main characters-ish? Yeah, I'd say um, uh, for adding a fifth, uh, about midway through the movie. So we're already said that we're you know out of spoiler zone, so or whatever we're in a spoiler zone, so we can say pretty much whatever we want. Exactly. Um, like I'll, the part where Bigfoot smashed in and and kicked some zombie ass before he yeah, got taken down. Yeah, and then and Bigfoot's like, mmm, tastes like chicken. <laughs> and that's the best line in the whole that was, movie. Yeah, that was great. And then he started just really nailing that hula dancer toy. Yep. And the, oh, that's where the sex warned. Oh, that's what they were complaining about. We figured it out. No, but like, I the the role of the the best friend 
of Anna. Um, I can't think of his name, but you you had that character, and he was playing the forlorn, not boyfriend, who was John. kind of John, who was pining after Anna. Like when you get through and develop the characters and everything you have, and then he gets eaten. Like to me, that was like the first point where they were like, okay, we're taking this movie into a more, you know, traditional, darker zombie thing. Like, it was already dark having people myrtleized and, you know, ripped apart and things because it's a zombie movie. But when you take, you know, arguably one of your, you know, young, idealistic, like, nice kids and you, like, have him be the sacrificial lamb, so to speak, uh, that was kind of one of the turning points where I was like, oh... So that's a yeah. real thing. That just happened. I thought, I, I I liked that they went there and more than once they, you know, had to, you know, make these these sacrifices and made it kind of grim and, and gritty getting through this. But like that for me was kind of the turning point between, you know, just playing around, dipping their toes in the water and just like fully committing to what was going on. No. And it was, it was the, like a real twist. Because they're setting up the entire movie this right off into the sunset, either as, mm-hmm. you know, Butch and Sundance or as uh, uh, Cagney and Lacey. Like, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. like Happily ever after forever. Like, yeah. That, well, maybe not that last one <laughs> or the one, other one or the other one. Uh, but they, they were, you know, partners in crime and they were going to get out. If no one else got out, the two of them were going to get out. And when he gets bit, I'm like, oh, they still have time to like chop his hand off or something. And he's right. Like, nope. It, this is just the way it's going to be now. And I'm going to protect you as long as I can, which is about mm, eight seconds. Uh, and then they're going to get me. So I was 100% sure that they were going to do the whole either quick chop his arm off to save him from the infection or they might do the thing where, oh, it's just a little bite, and then they go run on, and then they have some big, long, drawn-out thing where they have to decide, so are they going to kill him? Are they going to try to save him? Like, is he going to slowly turn? Like, what's going to happen? But it's like, no. He just instantly turns and, like, leaps back into the group to save her. And I like that about him, and the character feels consistent enough. Everything's good there. But one thing I noticed more than once in this movie is, like, they they did the whole thing where they're like zombies. There's no such thing as zombies. And like, you know, the whole disbelief and all that. Like, that's all. That's not real stuff. That's fake stuff. But then later, how do they know the second year bit, you will die and turn into a zombie? Like, they don't know that, but they instantly assume that. And to well, me, I just thought that was a little bit odd that they didn't know what the rules were. They didn't even believe in this world of zombies. And yes, we all know from... TV shows and movies and all that. If you get bit by a zombie, you either die and or turn into one, but like her dad and stuff at the end, like people who, you know, like before they actually turn or anything happens to him, it's just like that. Why are you instantly giving up? Because you know, you're not necessarily like placid, like not even panicking or I don't want to die or anything like that. They're just like, no, it's cool. I'm just, I'm just going to go. Don't even, don't even sweat it. Go have fun. I'll, I'll see you around. No, actually, I won't. But that's cool. Hmm. Don't don't sweat it. So I'll, yeah, I, I won't be fine. <laughs> I know. I know that this is supposed to be a, a parallel to, you know, I don't know, coming of age stories or whatever you want to call it. It's supposed to be that whole like 
dealing with the you know youth and and to be disaffected and all that like so some of it made sense in that way and so like it was a little bit you know weird to alternate between like a scene where you know zombies are coming after you and then you know you just have someone kind of campy slapping them in the face over and over with a spatula (laughs) you know and then you have scenes with someone like just giving in their life and literally dying and like you know so it kind of just bounced all around the place a bit but again it felt like i'm not going to really complain about that because of the audacity of just the existence of this movie but it was it did throw me off a bit sometimes to like to just be tuned into the the campiness and then all of a sudden er, you switch gears and it's you know something a bit or quite a bit darker well, and it's and it's always a hard left. Like it's not even a let's gradually get to this point. It's a hard like. Yeah. Okay, now it's it's this big serious thing. One thing that that did sort of get to me a little bit. You you talked about like they know the rules, but how? Like I I feel like the the idea of a zombie movie is not lost to this world. Yeah. So like they understand, okay, this is what's happening based on the news and what we're actually seeing. So this is how we have to, you know, uh, approach this. But why are they the only ones who know? <laughs> like, yeah. How did well, it get and, like, that bad that quickly? Yeah. If if I mean, if you walk down the street and talk to the average person and say, "Hey, I have a question for you about zombies. What would you do if a zombie had came around?" You'd be like, "Oh, they shoot him in the fucking head." Or, or or bash their brains in. Like people know what to do. So how did it get this bad this quickly? Well, of course, they went now I'm from, thinking about it and COVID nineteen. Right. It's it's a parallel for that that came out two years before COVID. But <laughs> but like you do have that again the the shift in tone because you have the resident douchebag gang of kids who like they're they, such dicks. Like, where they, like, they just, oh, one of them's got a bat, and one of them's got, like, a, a piece of pipe, and one's got, like, a lamp, and two watermelons. And it's, like, they take on miniature hordes of zombies with no problem whatsoever. And then there's another scene where they have, like, oh, the military's coming, they're going to save us, and then flash forward to all the military people have been turned into zombies or are dead. And it's, like, wait, so... The same zombies that were easily <laughs> taken out by a bunch of high school kids with, like, watermelons, murdered by watermelons, now have just taken over battalions of body-armed military people with machine guns. But we don't see that part. It just cuts forward to where that's happened. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, okay, that's cool. That happens, I guess. But it was kind of just a bit of a jump. It was, for sure. And... It- <laughs> That whole scene where where they're the the kids are doing their their thing, uh, it was hilarious. It would, when the guy <laughs> with the watermelons, it, it's all slow motion, like squish, big geyser of of watermelon. Uh, but I, I think that the message in that scene was that the children are in fact our future, and we should treat you know teach them well and let them lead the way. You gotta let them lead the way. Just show them all the beauty that they possess inside. Speaking of beauty. Let's talk about, again, back to these characters. Um, there was one of the main-ish characters that I just didn't buy and that I wasn't into. Okay. And that was the, like, activist lesbian Steph, I think was her name, the American student. Okay. 
I, I felt like I had no problem with the concept of her character, but I felt like she was purposefully like segmented off as like a token character alongside what was going on. And I didn't necessarily buy their connection or disconnection when they were antagonistic or when it's like, I saved you get in. Like I just didn't buy it. And, and for a movie with a bunch of, you know, fun or goofy or campy things. I think it's weird that I, I just found her character to be like awkward and kind of forced in, um, in, in a movie where why would I even worry or think about that? Because everything's just kind of crazy and Calvin ball and you just go crazy. It doesn't matter. Um, so I don't know if you had that reaction or if there were any other characters you weren't a fan of, but yeah, for some reason I just, I just didn't buy, I didn't buy her. I, I, I don't know that I could say that I bought the character, bought into the character either. Um, but I don't think that I was necessarily as affected by it. Um, I think it, it probably would have hit harder if there were something tangible there, like they're also going to get her girlfriend. Like it wasn't just a sure. her girlfriend was an afterthought. Like, uh, and her, you know, all her parents are conveniently in Mexico. Like it, it was, you're you're right. It was a bit shoehorned in. So I think that they could have done a little bit more there. And maybe uh, yeah, they didn't really have her interacting too much, like forming friendships or bonds with people that much, really. Right. Which. You know, take that for whatever it is. But uh, the, man, a character that I didn't really, I can't say that there necessarily was. Um, the the principal, he served his purpose. Like, he was the one who went insane, and that's fine. Um, uh, I No. No, I think that everybody was more or less like they they had a a purpose with with the exception of Steph and I feel like Steph could have had more uh than just what she got. So Yeah, it felt very much like uh In fact, now that I think about it, like uh, again was her her male best friend Anna's friend was his name Sean? John. Oh, John. I was going to say if it was Sean, that'd be funny because it's like, <laughs> but like there was like one of my favorite parts of the movie, which I think they have in the trailer or part of it in the trailer is just that first time when they wake up, when the kids wake up, not realizing that zombie apocalypse has taken root and they put in their headphones and they start jogging. Um, the, the choreography, the song itself, just the, the blocking of the scenes it gave me like a huge Shaun of the Dead vibe. Yeah. Um, like almost, and I wonder if they intentionally, if it was an homage to that, that whole like, the, the humor that comes when you don't even realize, a zombie apocalypse is happening and you don't even realize it. You just go about <laughs> your day. And it, it's handled in a different way in Shaun of the Dead, uh, which is, of course, better. <clears throat> Excuse me. I feel like I have a zombie virus. Oh no. Rawr. Oh shit. Okay, not really, um, but yeah. So I, I, I think that uh, that was that was great. Like I kind of went back and forth. I'm not sure about the songs overall. I I might revisit and see if they're catchy, and I like I enjoy listening to them. I know as I was just looking around and looking up, trying to figure out who people were in the movie, and came across some user reviews and ideas and stuff that people 
love the songs on this and are always talking about how they made a Spotify playlist and it's like their favorite thing to listen to is it's even better than the movie and I'm like I didn't find anything that memorable or amazing with the songs like they were serviceable for what they were but I don't know if you if you yourself your reactions to the music in the movie I I'd liked the the big number that they did in the cafeteria with the you know uh this isn't a Hollywood ending or, or, mm. or whatever um that that was that was kind of kind of neat and I I caught myself like humming to it uh, you know for a few minutes after the movie was done uh I don't know that any of the other songs really stood out to me uh I I I I think that they could have probably leaned into that even more and and you know gone mostly musical rather than musical numbers sort of interjected in between uh but I I I I like them fine I, I would say that the the I I'd give this the the music a, a solid B um not not terrible but not great Unless you're talking about the, the Christmas show. And, you know, what's her face? Uh, the girl singing about, you know, with the six shirtless men lifting her up, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about the girlfriend? Yeah, Lisa, I think was her name. Yeah, like... that, that, was, <laughs> that was very funny to me. I actually wrote down something about that here. Uh, but it was like very uh almost uh what's the the word i'm looking for uh oh, what is that word uh almost like a cabaret or a uh, a burlesque yeah it was it was more full of double entendres than an episode of golden girls <laughs> Are you reading that off of an IMDb? I, I wish I, I wish I was. No, that came straight from the old noggin. Wow. Yeah, I have I have a future in such things. But um, no, like it it was it, mostly I liked the reactions in the audience between people who were really into it and people who were very awkward and embarrassed and like that was just kind of fun. There was one other uh two other, sorry. Uh like especially uh interesting zombie deaths to me. Uh one was the seesaw beheading. Yes, uh, that was pretty awesome, uh, and I, I like their use of blood squibs and and just gushing blood. Uh, it was it was kind of Tarantino esque in that regard. Uh, the other one was the head and the ball return after the <laughs> uh, uh, the zombie gets beheaded on the the bowling lane. I thought was that was pretty funny. Yeah, they definitely did a good job of uh, again keeping things for a lot of the time in a, in a very B movie aesthetic and, and you know, like with the, the killings and, and how they were performed. Like, again, I think my favorite have to be the, you know, death by watermelon. Um, because <laughs> come on, that's just classy. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was kind of funny, but like also sometimes uh, that tone again, switching from like, are these actually unkillable, machines are like in a lot of tv shows and this one as are like deaths happen because you turned your head for a second and one of them got real quiet snuck up behind you and nibbled on your shoulder and you didn't realize it like i guess like i want to let go and just be entertained and, and stuff but also i can't help but think about myself and how 
alert and weary I'd be about every situation, especially where I know there are zombies about. Mm-hmm. Um, or when there's zombies about, depending on what country that happens if it, in. Yeah, if it, this was made in Canada. And, and so, so yeah, it, it's not that big of a deal, but it's like, come on, kids, let's get this straight. <laughs> uh, yeah. <sighs> The, the not following the rule or choosing when to follow the rules and when not to follow the rules was, was a little bothersome. Uh, but, you know, even even despite that uh, and, and the bleak ending, uh, it was a perfectly enjoyable movie to me. Uh, it was lots of fun. Uh, I thought it was really unique. I definitely liked it. I would watch it again for sure. Now, um, is it a Christmas movie? Oh, 100%. Exactly right out of the gate, it plays as a Christmas movie. Yeah. No, I just wanted to make sure that you weren't And, and then it closes with a, a big Merry Christmas banner followed by Chris <laughs> Kringle. Exactly. So I didn't even have to stay for the after credit scene. No. Wait, there was an after credit scene? No, I just... No, I don't think that there was. I looked it up <laughs> and it said that there wasn't. <laughs> it's Isn't that weird how we do that now? Like yeah. Marvel is, has us trained to as soon as the credits start rolling, we whip our phones out and go, is there an end credit scene for Anna and the Apocalypse? It's we're we live in a crazy time. We sure do. That's our show, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to us each and every week as we just saw another favorite from our past. We have new episodes pretty much every Monday. So come check us out on Apple and Stitcher and Spotify and TMDpod.com and uh, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Uh, John. Yeah, um, as a musical, I contacted a lot of people, living and dead, to get their opinion on what's the most perfect song from any musical ever made. And like 7 out of 10 of those people said Destroying the Evidence by Semaphore was the number one song in their mind. I didn't even know it was featured in any musical. I just knew it was featured in our podcast each and every time we release one. It's big on Um, Broadway. Big on Broadway, uh, little on calories. And we we enjoy that's it. That's right. And you should take in as much as you can because it's zero calories, actually. And that's better than a lot of other foods that you're eating right now. And speaking of nonsense, uh, if you want to get into the nonsense and email us, uh, reach out to memorydistillery at gmail.com. And we'd be happy to hear if you've got some other bizarre Christmas movie suggestions for us. It doesn't even have to be for Christmas. We like bizarre movies. Um, so if you're one of those people who have seen this movie, uh, we would love to hear more about like your, your thoughts on it and tell us if you liked it or not. Were we on the money or are we, we off pace here? You gotta, you gotta teach us. We're, we're open to learn. Um, so reach out to us on Facebook at the memory distillery or tweet us at TMG pod. Uh, pretty much. We just want you to get in contact. We love that feedback and it kind of helps color and shape the direction of uh, future episodes and where we're going. So once again, we do want to thank you all for listening in. It's holiday season. I'm John Tag, And I'm Anthony Verneri, and this has been the Memory Distillery. 